Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. I don't want to say we're back or we're so back, but you know, as an industry, I think there's a little bit of animal spirits that are creeping into all the conversations. Um, and I think it's energizing for investors, for founders, for speculators, for media. You know, there's some mojo coming back. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two Kwan. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, I named trading firms who are very involved. Um, I like that ETH is the ultimate problem. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So, quick intros. First, we've got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Hi. That's all I got. I don't know. Like, I didn't, I feel like people know my noise right now. Everybody, we we decided to start doing this thing where we do the intro, everyone says something. uh, And that was all that Tom's got is high. So it's a good way to inaugurate this new tradition. Robert's got GM. So, yeah. Robert, crypto connoisseur and the czar of Superstate. GM, everybody. Then we've got Tarun, the Giga Brain and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. (laughs) Erdosh. And I'm Asib, the head hype man at Dragonfly. We are the early stage investors and in, we are the, we are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here. Hasib, you're giving yourself a, an upgrade. Sorry, look, you, you it's, know, a, it's a bull one market, of, right? One, getting... one, one of the big fund partners take, take kind of leaves and all of a sudden now Hasib's like, I'm the partner. Look, I'm feeling giddy, okay? Numbers, numbers up again. Bitcoin's doing well. Suddenly all of a sudden we're cool kids again. And I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling excited. Are we? Anyway, are we? Let me, are we, let me finish the disclosures. Let me finish the disclosures. Nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see chopping blocks at XYZ for more disclosures. Okay, so in case you haven't noticed, Bitcoin is up. Uh, Bitcoin touched $35,000 yesterday. Uh, we're, we're taping this as of Tuesday. I'm sure Bitcoin's probably at 60K plus by the time you're listening to this. Um, no, so Bitcoin's up over 100% this year so far, um, despite the fact that a lot of people have been dooming and glooming for most of this year. Now, why exactly did Bitcoin go up so much? Uh, nobody really quite knows. It's kind of said that, well, uh, maybe it's some ETF uh, excitement, although the ETF has already been kind of barreling uh, toward launch. There was a story yesterday that BlackRock, which is supposed to be launching their iShares Bitcoin trust, finally got a QSIP and a ticker. Uh, and it was that ticker was listed on DTCC as IBTC. And this seemed to get the whole internet excited that this was all imminent and it was about to happen. And then boom, markets just kind of went uh, vertical. So it's been an interesting day. Normally my Twitter feed is a lot of people talking about intense and kind of complaining about why there's no product market fit in crypto. And for the first time in a while, my feed was just people celebrating. Guys, how does it feel to finally be in a real industry again? You know, I don't want to say we're back or we're so back, but, you know, as an industry, I think there's a little bit of animal spirits that are creeping into all the conversations. Um, and I think it's energizing for investors, for founders, for speculators, for media. You know, there's some mojo coming back. I think you have to issue an apology to the the Coin Telegraph intern from uh, from last week who got roasted for the the false tweet. But I mean, also, I mean, if you if you do think 
the ETF is sort of the source of news. There was also the double fake out, right? Where it's like Tigger got listed on GTCC, then it got removed, and then it was just re-added like an hour or two ago. And so I don't think anyone really knows what's what's going on. It's all been uh, kind of silly. Well, the reason why the ticker matters is that supposedly this is one of the final steps before an ETF actually gets listed, or it's you know it, it shows that BlackRock's like, yo, this ETF is ready to go. Just give us the word, and then we're gonna we're gonna get it live. And I think made people feel like it's real. And and to be clear, this is happening amidst a backdrop where equities are getting killed across the board. And so there was a period of time when Bitcoin was basically trading in line with equities. And every day you saw whatever the NASDAQ was doing was what Bitcoin was doing. Now, a lot of that was mostly due to macro. I think it was rather than being tied to equities, it was more tied to interest rates. But interest rates have been kind of actually sitting, they've been actually pretty negative. For a while, we've seen this, this story of uh, uh, higher for longer, which is that interest rates are not going to come down quite as soon as people thought. Um, but crypto has been pretty resilient. And I think it, it shows a real decoupling between equities and crypto, which is good. That's part of the story that people have been wanting to tell about crypto for a long time. I mean, I think there was an article yesterday or two days ago that we had the highest amount of capital flight from China, like ever from their Chinese equities market. I think it was like $75 billion. I forget if it was this year. It's, I think it was this year annualized. So like, if it's if it's that if there's that much capital sitting out there, it has to go somewhere, <laughs> you know. And I feel like crypto is probably the easiest thing for foreign assets leaving China to go to. So, I, you know, maybe it's yes. a little too simplistic of a theory. Yeah, I mean, the but... timing of it doesn't. Yeah, the timing of it does not line up, right? Like clearly, this is a U.S. regulation driven move. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. But that money has to get reinvested, and like they need any news to go. Re- you know, I feel like. I'm not convinced it's like American dollars that push this up. I'm, con- I, I'm convinced. Rob, okay. why are you convinced? Well, I'm convinced because so much of it is tied on a temporal basis to the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF news. And, you know, whether it's like fact or, you know, causation or correlation or biases, everyone I've been hearing from on crypto Twitter, in Telegram groups, like, Everybody is pointing towards the BlackRock ETF as their motivation for logging Bitcoin. And so even if there are other ancillary flows, you know, Bitcoin is directly causing people that you see on the internet to respond with like not even necessarily correct assumptions, but to say, well, BlackRock ETF is going to be approved. They're the biggest asset manager on earth. Bitcoin's worth less than a trillion. They manage, you know close to $10 trillion, Bitcoin go up. And like, it's the low IQ response, but there's so many people making that response. Okay, let's take a step back. Robert, can you explain for the audience, first of all, what exactly is an ETF? We've been talking about this story for a long time, but we never actually really explained what an ETF is and why it matters that supposedly BlackRock is going to make one for Bitcoin. So, that's a great question. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to summarize what an ETF is. So an ETF is an open-ended investment vehicle. It's not a closed-ended vehicle that raises capital and then invests that fixed amount of capital. It has a flexible amount of capital that it invests. And the way it works is an ETF has a benchmark or a basket of you know what it's trying to buy, which is generally disclosed you know in the name of the fund and the prospectus. In this case, if we're using the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF as an example, its goal is to buy Bitcoin. And when people want this asset, they can buy it, you know, whether it's going to be on, you know, 
Fidelity or E-Trade or Robinhood or wherever they're able to access investments from a brokerage account, when they buy this ETF, it puts upward pressure or market forces on the ETF itself. And what happens is shares of the ETF are created and destroyed based on market demand. Every ETF has an authorized participant or multiple authorized participants that effectuate the process of making new shares or redeeming shares of the fund. And what happens is when the price of the fund gets a little tiny bit over the fair value of what it's supposed to be, these authorized participants go out and make more shares of the fund. And they do this by, in the case of a Bitcoin ETF, buying Bitcoin, stuffing it into the fund and getting new shares, which they then provide to the market itself. And so using this structure, a fund is able to very easily take in as much new demand as it can, as people are able to invest in it without having to like launch another fund or increase an investment mandate. It can scale from zero to infinite, essentially, very smoothly and very elastically. And it's an important thing to note that ETFs are a relatively modern financial instrument. They didn't really exist until the mid 90s. They only exist because you know, the SEC was, you know, willing to work with industry participants and create new investment vehicles, but it's a relatively new structure and it's conquered everything over the last 20 years. ETFs went from like an experiment to being a market dominating instrument. And so they've won the market because they're so flexible and they work so well. And so the public's perception of a Bitcoin ETF is that Whatever amount of demand exists out there that's not currently flowing into Bitcoin, because most people don't know how to sign up for Coinbase and they don't know how to buy Bitcoin directly, or they're already set up with Robinhood and E-Trade and Vanguard and the things they already use, that there's all of this latent demand that just the bar is just still a little bit too high. And once there's an ETF, it's easy enough for the broad public to move their capital into it. And indirectly, every dollar they move in winds up buying a dollar of Bitcoin. And so the expectations are it's lowering the bar, it's making it easier, more capital is going to flow in, and that's going to lead to price appreciation. So, okay, we've talked before about that story, which is, okay, the bar is being uh, lowered, it's easier to buy it in your Schwab account or whatever. Um, of course, many of these uh, brokers already offer buying Bitcoin. It's not easy necessarily, but, you know, like Fidelity has it and you can buy it in uh there's a bunch of folks who have partnerships with Coinbase, so you can buy through Coinbase or whatever, things like this. It seems to me like the bigger story is more around institutions. And this, I mean, you know, for us, we, we speak to a lot of institutions. And when we say institutions, we mean like, you know, family offices, endowments, uh, these, kinds of, these kinds of organizations. They have a really easy time buying Bitcoin if they buy it in an ETF. Because ETFs, everything they buy is through ETFs, right? For example, if you want to buy gold, how do you buy gold? The way you buy gold is you buy it through the iShares uh, gold ETF. That is the most liquid form of gold in the world is the gold ETF. And so people are kind of analogizing that, okay, well, if everybody in the world is buying their gold this way and gold is gold, you know, Bitcoin's trying to replace gold in some sense, maybe this is the way that we're going to see Bitcoin become institutionalized in the way in which eventually central banks or whatever are going to buy it is not by buying spot Bitcoin and having ledgers in a vault somewhere, you know, they're going to do it by buying ETFs the way that they buy, you know, all these other financial assets. That's the story. And I, and I find that story to be plausible. Um, the question really is how big of a deal actually is this in the long run? Well, I would posit that it's less a big deal than gold simply because what an ETF allows you to do is buy essentially an infinite amount of the asset, not infinite, but a, a crazy large amount of the asset 
with the same amount of difficulty as buying a small amount of the asset. Now, gold is something where even buying a small amount of gold and storing it is really difficult and really cumbersome prior to there being an ETF. Like if you prior to ETFs wanted to go out and invest in gold, oftentimes people were investing in gold miners because that was the easiest asset to gain exposure to them. An ETF makes you able to have the ability to drop as much capital as you want into gold at the click of a button into gold itself and not like some like adjacent investment that's correlated to it. And, you know, right now you can drop a huge amount of money into Bitcoin with a click. Like that isn't as profound of a change. Whereas gold, I mean, just the storage difficulty and cost and cumbersomeness of the physical commodity that takes up meat space was difficult. And, you know, one of the biggest advantages of Bitcoin that everybody has been trumpeting for the last, you know, 10 plus years is that, you know, it's not heavy. It doesn't take up any space. And, you know, moving a million dollars of Bitcoin is the same difficulty as moving a dollar of Bitcoin. So I don't think the impact will be as big, but I still think it's going to be big. Yeah. And it is also true that like, look, as much as we all think of Coinbase and these other organizations as being very trustworthy institutions, from the perspective of a very, very large financial players, you know, if you're a sovereign wealth fund, if you're a central bank, if you're even just like a very large foundation or endowment, you don't think of Coinbase as a big trustworthy counterparty, right? You think of Coinbase as like, a, you know, what, $10 billion? Yeah, but the irony like is that the irony is that a lot of the ETFs are custodying at Coinbase. So you're sort of implicitly doing the same thing, even though you might not be realizing it, Mr. 30 IQ ETF purchaser. <laughs> hundred well, but the reality is like look once once blackrock is on board it's sort of like you got the full faith and credit of blackrock which is you know what like how much assets they manage like in the trillions there's the largest asset manager in the world right mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like look if coinbase's custody business goes under like blackrock is going to figure it out you know that's kind of more or less what you're yeah, assuming yeah, yeah. i get the, I get the liability shield insurance stuff but there is still some irony that the person who didn't buy is like implicitly kind of taking coinbase's services so they might as well have cut I mean, look, the a lot of the advantage of this is not the actual underlying mechanics but rather that you don't have to bring any of the stuff up to your to your investment committee so when you're like hey we should go buy some bitcoin no one ever has to mention the word coinbase no one ever has to mention anything but blackrock and ETF and yes or no and boom, you know, and and that I think is what what actually does grease a lot of the wheels of how Bitcoin ends up on more institutional balance sheets. Although very sophisticated market participants will understand the nuance of each ETF, what the small edge case risks are, and how to price it differently to physical as well as other ETFs. I mean, the same thing happens in gold, you know, and other assets where there's multiple ways to gain exposure to one underlying asset, the most sophisticated hedge funds out there will be like ripping apart these documents to figure out exactly how they work and why they work and being able to put on, you know, trades accordingly. Like one thing we haven't talked about, which I actually think is worth mentioning is that one of the other advantages of ETFs is that you can have derivative instruments tied to them. So an ETF could have a whole slew of options that trade on top of the ETF. And so what this will unlock is just new ways for people to like have complex, you know, positions built on top of Bitcoin that they might not already have access to. And so I do think, you know, some people are going to say, well, what is like the extreme edge case put worth on a Bitcoin ETF that might represent the custody risk, you know, inherent in it and like be able to price this out in really interesting ways. It's very true. Right now, if you want Bitcoin options, you kind of have to go to Deribit and Deribit, obviously in crypto land, we're fine with Deribit, but if you want to get institutional capital 
you know, buying and selling Bitcoin options, it's not going to happen on Deribit, most likely. I'm I'm just not that convinced that the the lit market derivatives are going to be better than the non KYC market derivatives or like approximately non KYC because not now. Yeah, I just I just kind of feel like crypto has been like in five years. I draw the line out particularly good at building its own derivatives markets elsewhere, right? Like, this is why I don't, I feel like the gold ETF comparison is kind of like useless because I, I, as someone who used to trade commodity futures, I will say that like, I generally view the products and traditional finance as like shittier than crypto in a lot of ways, UX wise, dealing with the fucking clearing agent, the CME tells you that they're changing a order type and you can't argue with them. Like, I, I, I honestly think, the derivatives market's actually worse in the traditional world and from a what you can do with it manner. So I kind of feel like we're gonna just get boring vanilla stuff. Like look at the CME Bitcoin product. Like they, they don't even have like a good like good enough strip of like options on futures to make like a VIX on it correctly. Like the entire thing is like kind of useless. It looks like a kind of shit version of everything we see in DeFi or or but that's off. why a spot ETF is more exciting. Is that like the CME futures are not that liquid? Like there's not even like liquidity between calendar months at all. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if this will. I think this will fix that. Right. This is like some duct tape around a a, a shit sandwich that is is the current you know U.S. crypto regulated crypto stuff. But I don't think this is going to be some like grandiose thing. Now. Will the ETF mean that there's going to be more people in their retirement accounts trusting it? I think this is more about the branding aspect of like people being like, oh, this is way more legit than it is about like market efficiency. I honestly feel like the crypto markets themselves advance themselves a lot faster than most things in traditional. I, I, I would argue that most people who leave traditional finance for crypto leave for that reason. They like they like they kind of can see that in it. Yeah, because crypto leapfrogs all of the tech of the last generation and now it's like everyone's excited that like it's going back to the last generation of tech with exposure to a crypto asset well they're going to coexist right like there's going to be the global unregulated market for a long 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 time i don't think even in five years this global overseas market is going to go away but it's going to coexist with this regulated onshore market that's very clean and spick and span and yes it's kind of old and janky but you know if if you're like look i need to hedge this like weird risk that i can't hedge through the cme if you're smart enough and you're, you know, you have enough tentacles overseas, you can find a way to go on Binance or Deribit or whatever the future, you know, whatever the the last survivor of the of the Wild West is going to be and go hedge your risk over there instead. I think the more interesting thing to me is going to be the the fact that the capital flows in crypto tend to have this like domino effect. It's like Bitcoin goes up, Old school Bitcoin holders start selling and buying other assets, maybe ETH, maybe Sol, whatever. And then those have a much higher run because there's a little lower liquidity. And there's this like trickle down kind of like pachinko like thing going on. You know, you know, that game that like you, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Bitcoin, yeah. Pachinko. Let's, let's throw yeah. some pachinko on the screen real quick. for the but, but this, this, this is kind of how things move. Whereas in the traditional markets, oftentimes what happens is. Um, ads or removes from an ETF. So like, let's say I'm trading a biotech ETF. If the biotech index person um, removes a particular name, then a ton of people who are tracking the ETF or like, re, you know, have to hold the ETF have suddenly sell a ton of that, right? And a lot of the the liquidity games in equities really depend on like the fact that like there's so much of this uh, passive capital that, 
people are sort of tracking and that completely changes the inflows and outflows. But in crypto, it's kind of different, right? It's like this pachinko thing. And I think that's sort of why I'm not sure how much the ETF influences the grand scheme of market structure. I think it just like helps some like grandmom, grandmothers like ensure that their 401k is slightly more crypto heavy. Well, some grandmas and some pension funds. I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, those are related. <laughs> very indirectly, yes. Or I guess very directly. Okay, so TLDR, number went up. Everyone happy. Let's hope it keeps going up because um, just, just for some very quick numbers for those of you who are playing at home, uh, Bitcoin right now is up about 100% on the year. The NASDAQ, by comparison, is up about 35% on the year. So Bitcoin has pretty dramatically outperformed the stock market, even despite the fact that the tech sector on the whole uh, and the Nasdaq is pretty tech heavy has been doing well. Bitcoin has just been crushing for the year. So, and of course, ETH, not, not far behind. Now, on the other hand, there have been some negative stories uh, going around in the news. So of course, there's a, a big conflict that is brewing in the Middle East between uh, Israel and Hamas. And uh, there was a story that took place recently from the Wall Street Journal talking about how Hamas had received supposedly a bunch of donations in the form of crypto. And this led Elizabeth Warren, a U.S. Democratic senator who's known as being very far left in the U.S., um, to announce that she was going to uh, try to galvanize her anti-crypto army, as she has previously called it, uh, to try to get a new law passed to crack down on terrorist financing and illicit uses of crypto. Now, the problem with the story is that despite the fact that the Wall Street Journal published a story claiming that 90 million plus dollars of cryptocurrency were received by Hamas. Uh, this turned out to be incorrect. Actually, there was a, a story that was put out by Chainalysis, which is the leading company that works with law enforcement and government agencies to try to track down the flow of funds in crypto. They're basically more or less the world experts at this stuff. They published an analysis that showed that this is totally wrong. Uh, this was the wrong way to read what was actually happening on the chain, looking at the events on chain, which everybody can go see for themselves, what the Wall Street Journal used as evidence, which is the beautiful thing about blockchains that you can just go look at it yourself and see, ah, here's the sleuthing they did. Um, and actually they sort of misread the chain of, of, uh, of transactions. And in reality, the amount of capital you should be attributing to Hamas is $450,000, not 90 million. Wall Street Journal has not published a retraction, but everybody on crypto Twitter is mad at them because they seem to be giving fodder to people who are now spreading the story that crypto is once again being used to do bad things in the broader world. Any thoughts, reflections on this whole uh, Hamas crypto stuff? Well, my reflections are really quite simple. You know, for those of us that have been in the industry for a long time, you know, for law enforcement that's been working in the industry a long time, there's a public understanding that crypto is just bad for illicit financing because it's so transparent. You know, circa 2011, 2012, when nobody knew how to do all of this stuff, yeah, everyone assumed that, you know, crypto was for bad actors and bad things. And that narrative has stuck. But to everybody that's like evolved from the 2011, 2012 era, we know just fundamentally how bad of a tool it is for illegal finance. Um, you know, for certain other things, that's the only payment rails, like where people are, what was that phrase um, where they're like locking the computers? Uh, ransomware? Like local, ransomware? Ransomware. Ransomware. Oh, there you go. <laughs> for for <laughs> ransomware. All right, Grandpa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Locking yeah. the computers. When they're ransom I, feel like not, I feel like you should write ransomware for babies with that, with right. that one. <laughs> oh, good. You know, 
for things like ransomware, where there's no traditional payment rails available at all to ask for ransom, yeah, like they use crypto, but all the crypto they use is radically transparent in like where it's going, you know, how it's being used and it's able to be tracked. You know, crypto is not great at illegal finance. Hamas recognizes this too. They put out statements previously saying, don't send us crypto. It's too easily tracked and seized. I mean, it, Israel just asked Binance to, to freeze all their assets of Binance. And that happened like almost like on October 8th, like within 24 hours. Absolutely. And so the frustrating thing is to see misinformation that becomes the basis for more misinformation in this like negative feedback loop. Because, you know, the Wall Street Journal runs an incorrect story. I've now seen so many stories that cite the Wall Street Journal article as fact, which now there's not one story that's misinformation. There's 50 stories that are based on an incorrect publication. And we're winding up in a position where there's a factually incorrect narrative that's spreading. And, you know, this is just really frustrating to see as an industry participant because, there's such an understanding within the administration about combating misinformation in other sectors and in other places online, where there's an embrace very clearly of misinformation that's happening with reporting regarding the use of crypto in terrorist financing. And that's frustrating. I mean, look, for the Elizabeth Warren camp, this has always been her calling card, is that crypto is evil, technology generally is evil, big, somehow both big tech companies are evil and crypto are just trying to disrupt uh, traditional companies is evil. Basically, every everything that is not, you know, I don't know, small business financing or her particular constituents is evil. So, you know, I, I don't think that she cares whether or not the story is true. It's like emotionally true. And I think that's the basis for them kind of taking this moment to grandstand and say, oh, look how crypto is so evil and it's doing all these terrible things. I, I totally agree with you, Robert. This story, the sense that people have that crypto is mostly used by thugs and terrorists and bad guys has really, it's it's incredibly sticky story, despite the fact that the facts on the ground have changed. And you go talk to FBI agents, you talk to prosecutors, you talk to all these people, and they're like, yeah, um, using crypto for crime today is stupid. It is not a good idea, because literally that means there is a public record that stays around forever, that if you ever mess up once, we can we can find it and we can track it down, or we can make it impossible for you to cash out that money, which does not apply to almost any other form of currency. Most other times, if you if you get your money out and you do your getaway, you have the money. It's done. Unless they catch you, it's game over. And crypto is the one thing that like we're still discovering. I mean, that's why you have something like Zach XPT, who's going out discovering all these frauds and scams. There is no such thing as that for like the normal world. There's nobody who's just sort of looking around on the internet and be like, ah, oh, I can tell that this person is stealing money from their customers and something, something, something. It's only possible because it is so easy to divine these things by looking at the actual record on the blockchain. So it, it, yeah, it is frustrating to see, but in a sense also unsurprising that this is how you know political actors are using the present moment to their advantages. Tom, you got a hot take? I don't have a hot take. I mean, I think it was exactly what Robert said, like Hamas themselves has said, hey, don't set us crypto. And actually the crypto contributions have fallen off massively in the past like two years. So basically nothing, all this stuff is kind of very heavily backdated um, or backweighted anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it just feels like people tell the story that they want to tell um, independent of the facts. Yeah, I do yeah. feel like the U.S. political class's ability to be so illiterate about both AI and crypto is one of the most fascinating things I've ever <laughs> observed. Uh, it's it's like actually kind of shocking. I mean, the EU seems pretty illiterate about 
AI, of course. Is there any political class that's good at these things? I feel like you go to Asia, it's totally different, right? Like at least they oh, really they I mean, ha- in China at, it does at least not seem like much a, better. At least like Singapore, Singapore, India, at least there's like a, a light bulb going on in people's brain. Everywhere else, it's like, oh, we elect 90 year olds who have like two neuron, two functioning neurons, and maybe sometimes zero because they keep freezing on TV. I mean, yes, but even like a couple years ago, the Japanese Minister of Technology had never used a computer and refused to use a computer. And that what? was a big story. That, that, that does sound crazy. That's nuts. That's pretty, that's pretty legit. Wow. Yeah, I, I look, I kind of, yes, maybe. I think also at the same time, like you have a lot of push within the administration to try to crack down on privacy. There was a story uh, a little bit earlier about FinCEN uh, creating a new designation for mixers and basically trying to rope in a lot of other categories of things in DeFi or just normal type of wallet behavior. So just for example, anonymizing your address after, you know, like sending something to a fresh address them considering that to be mixing activity, which is kind of crazy, right? Obviously, that's just a baseline of good OPSEC, which there's no nefarious reason behind doing that. It's just wanting to make sure that it's not very easy to track down what you're doing just for your own financial privacy reasons, not because you're trying to obfuscate or create some big anonymity set for yourself. And so at the same time, like there is this very intentional seeming understanding from the administration about what they're doing and how they're targeting different, ad- like they're trying to sort of crack at the, uh, or, or chip at, I should say, the boundaries of how we think about the industry and where it, the, the regulatory surface area should lie. So I think it's kind of both. In some sense, I guess there's enormous ignorance, but there's also very clear and tactical strategy behind trying to erode at the, um, the legal and regulatory boundaries of what we're doing in crypto. Yeah. I mean, if you take the kind of like 500,000 foot view, right? Like crypto is trying to disrupt some notion of like societal trust and like obviously that's going to like bristle certain feathers of people who are gatekeepers of societal trust but at the same time i don't even think the gatekeepers understand the power they have and don't have which is like even more embarrassing to me they kind of just like try to like they i feel like they don't even understand like the powers of like this elizabeth warren thing like they don't even understand the idea that you can like freeze most of those assets that they're adding up, right? They're just like, oh, we added up number, number big, post number to Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal, dumb, they write it. You know, like, I'm just trying to give you the, the, <laughs> the like, you know, very simplified view of this. But it's just kind of like, it feels like that's the entire like brain process. And it doesn't even feel like it's bothering to be even slightly more strategic. Like, you would think that if they want to do an attack, that yes, this is successful, but that they could have added a little more defense mechanism into the the evidence and there was like none this it was i it's just like i don't know it it strikes me as uh as like just misguided you know i i I think the other thing that's kind of interesting that i've observed about congress is there's like this cadre of econ slash law professors who are all super modern monetary theory stands who are like the ones who are like pushing the anti-crypto stuff with legislators and and people in Congress. And I feel like those people are just mad that MMT didn't work, right? Like, I feel like the soft landing stuff is like kind of a indictment a little bit of like some of the their initial thoughts of like, we can keep printing forever. So there's this very funny cultural overlap I've observed between those who are like writing these like half-baked crypto things and those who are, you know, of that ilk and 
all of them are a bit airheady to me. I feel like they, there's a little bit of bombastic retort with little bite. Uh, if you start asking like 20 questions and maybe that's sort of where I stand on this. I don't know. That's not really a spicy take. That was just a rant. <laughs> well, you know, the one thing that people love about the show is that we're politics experts. Yes. That's especially American yeah, everyone politics. Everyone on crypto Twitter is just like an expert in a new field every few weeks, right? Yeah. Every week there's a new topic that we're all experts in instantly. Yeah. I've been, I've been in a lot of telegram groups that became experts in the Middle East pretty much overnight, which was which was very impressive because it takes a lot of takes a lot of knowledge to to know a lot about the uh, the history there. But um, anyway, to to not embarrass ourselves any further, I think we're going to keep this show short today because it's a bull market and you know we're all <laughs> we're all celebrating. You know, um, we we you know we could use a win. I I will just say one thing: a lot of people on crypto Twitter have been very excited about this account that's been getting a lot of attention named Gwart G W A R T. He's been roasting a lot of people on crypto Twitter, a lot of VCs, a lot of founders. Oh, I mean, I've and, been uh, roasted by Gort for for months at this point. It's well, be. that's funny. It's funny you say that because we did just get confirmation that actually Tarun is Gort. Not so true. You no, heard we, didn't it get, here we, no, no. we didn't get confirmation. We got strong evidence that we got a tell. Suggests. We got a very strong tell that Tarun is Gort. I, I hear that the Wall Street Journal is trying to hire Hasib. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm known for my journalistic excellence, so that's that's very uh, thoughtful of them. So anyway, you heard it here first. Tarun is Gwart. Go ahead and uh, not true, uh, not shout true, that from the rooftops. No, it is true. It is true. Look at that. Look, he's trying to... There's, that's I, how I, you know. I, I think if I were actually funny on the internet, then you could give you could maybe plausibly make a case for that. But Gwart is a little bit too clever, like in a way that like I I don't even aspire to be because I feel like it would be painful to be that good at. The, the humility, the humility. You see, it's, it's coming off him. He's trying to he's trying to throw us off the scent, but you know, you America, not America. I guess what internet, internet. You decide. I'm I'm excited. Uh, whether for, you think I'm, exci- the case I'm is excited made. for the Twitter army to to be on your case when the, after this episode comes out, <laughs> being like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> all right, we'll present see. all we'll your see evidence. Present all the okay. evidence on Twitter. All right, if 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 you feel like we've gotten this one wrong, write in, uh, and also, uh, we'll present the results next time. Also, if there. Uh, you know, as someone who unfortunately for this quarter has been going to a conference every other week, I will say one thing we haven't covered a lot of, mainly because of SBF and legal stuff and boring stuff, is uh, technical content or things of that nature. So if you are listening and there's anything you want us to feature, you know how we had like an MEV episode earlier this year, probably need another sort of roll up episode. Anything you want of that form, definitely write to us. Yeah, we're going to need an intellectual palate cleanser. Thankfully, it's a it's a week off from. Uh, wait, Robert, how did what? you create those fireworks? What was that? So somehow my computer, if you like make hand motions, sometimes it turns into like. <laughs> I, I I honestly can't explain it. If you're watching the episode on YouTube, you'll see this. It's actually quite embarrassing. If you're just wow. listening in, you have no idea what just happened. That's some real granddad stuff. Uh, I love that. That's yeah. awesome. My computer broke. <laughs> I, yeah, my computer just started doing it. I don't know. Let's like call Best Buy, see if they can come look at it. It's uh, great. Can we can also can we get a dolly of somebody locking a computer, like just like a criminal coming in and locking computers? Ransomware. I feel like that's yeah. also yeah. We're gonna need that. We're gonna need that as a ransomware illustration. Well, I just like the idea of like computer security for babies, and like it's like ransomware locks on computers. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that. That's good. We're gonna have to get that for uh, crypto cybersecurity at some point. Maybe we can get Certic to do it. Rob, I feel like that would be. I feel like that would be perfect. Anyway, all right, we're gonna go ahead and wrap. 
Thank you, everybody. We'll be back next week. Yeah.